If you have your Bibles tonight, would you turn them to the book of 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians. Now, you probably know where it is, but I passed it the other day somewhere in that direction. Maybe it's more that direction. I passed a Corinth church. Seriously? I mean, name it anything but Corinth. And I, I don't know. I, I have actually seen a Corinth Baptist church. Now, that one was not Baptist that I remember. But still, uh, why would you do that? I mean, Corinth had problems, major problems. Yes, they're Christians. Yes, they're children of God. But honestly, when I read the New Testament, I see the Corinth probably had the most problems of any other church, at least in my opinion. And we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians dealing with some of the things that Paul would write to the church of Corinth. And I believe it will be a help to us as we look at this. And some of the things uh, that we're going to look at tonight, I, I realize that everything that we have hit from Sunday school till now, I realize you know everything that we've talked about. Because it's in the Bible. You've read it. I've read it. It's there. It's not new truth. And by the way, if anyone ever says... I have found something new. Um, I'd stay away from it. Okay? I really would. If they're coming at it from the standpoint of, wow, I had not seen this before. Okay, that's completely different. I'm talking about nobody has ever done this before. Wow, look at me. Okay, first of all, that's about them, not about Jesus. That should be the first clue, all right? So this is not new stuff to you. I know that. But if God's told us to look at it and we look at it, then God's trying to either teach us something that we haven't seen or he's trying to refresh our mind or he's trying to say, hey, you're about to deal with something. Let me show you how to help you deal with it when you are in that situation. So I realize this is not new truth, but I believe it'll be a help to us tonight. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able, if you'd stand with me as we read out of respect for the reading of the word of God. First Corinthians chapter number 10, and tonight we're going to read a, a lengthy portion of scripture, uh, but I'll try to read it quickly. First Corinthians chapter 10, let's begin reading in verse number 1 for sake of context. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Uh, that word baptized, before you get confused, he's not talking about immersion, okay? Something different. Uh, we won't be there tonight, but just to clear, to clear the air. Verse number three. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock. You notice that's capitalized? Speaking of the rock, his name is Jesus, that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Verse number five. But with many of them, God was not well pleased. Sounds like our churches, doesn't it? For they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Neither be idolaters, as some of them, as it is written, the people sit down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. In other words, they died, okay? 
That's pretty specific. Verse number 9, Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Then he'll say in verse number 10, Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Do you see a pattern here? They're not obeying. They're going against God. They're facing the consequences. Verse number 11, Now all these things happen unto them for and samples. Sounds familiar to verse number 6, but it's a different word. You have examples in verse number 6, now end samples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able but will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Let's pray. My Father, I thank you for the privilege tonight to gather with these dear people. And Lord, I pray tonight that you would guard my mind and my thoughts and even more importantly my words Lord I need you tonight I need your power I need you to overtake I cannot preach without you doing the preaching or I'll waste time and so Lord I'm asking you to step in tonight would you help our hearts and minds to be open to your words so that we may leave here not hearing, but also doing. And Lord, I pray that you would bind the distractions and the devil from this place tonight. That when we leave, we will not just leave trying to be better Christians but that we will leave having dealt with sin and walking closer to you before we ever get home. And I thank you for what you're going to do, expecting you to do it, because I can't. In the precious name and blood of Jesus, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When you come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, Paul begins to deal with some very specific things, but he does it subtly. It, it's kind of the way parents try to do things. They try to, re, try to use the reversed psychology. Parents, have you ever done that? All right. And I know it's the idea of, hey, this is not really what you want, but let me convince you how good this is for you. My mom did that with us with Brussels sprouts, okay, and collard greens. You'd look at that, and as a kid, you think, hmm. Now, I don't know what your opinion about this is, and frankly, it doesn't matter to me. But my mom did not make us eat collard greens and Brussels sprouts. You say, shame on your mom. She had a completely different philosophy. Her idea was, let me just make a small bowl for myself. And let me act like it's the most wonderful thing in the world. And so we'd sit there and we'd look at what mom was eating. Mom, what's that? Oh, this is, this is collard greens. This is good stuff. Can I have some? Oh, no, no, no. You, you won't like it. This is special. This is for me. 
Mom, can I have some? Well, okay, I'll give you a little bit. She gives us a little bit, and you honestly, honestly, you put it in your mouth the first time, and you think, what in the world? But mom said it was good, so you acted like you liked it. <laughs> and the next time she had it, w- would you still like some of this special stuff? Mm-hmm. You try it again, and you know, before long, you do like it. Now, now. My mom fixes Brussels sprouts or kale when we go to her house, or kale, uh, collard greens or kale, what, whatever, you know, the green stuff. And it's gone before the mashed potatoes are gone. You say, what happened? She figured it out. Paul, I, I realize he's not trying to get them to, he, he's not trying to trick them. He's trying to illustrate something to the church of Corinth and tell them that they have a problem. But he does it in kind of a backdoor kind of way. He said, listen, you remember our fathers. You remember the ones of Israel. You remember the ones that wandered for 40 years because of their disobedience. Do you remember them? Well, let me tell you how they lived unsuccessful lives in the wilderness. Oh, and you want to know the, the real reason they had an unsuccessful life in the wilderness? Because of idolatry. You say, what's Paul's point? He ends up hitting home at the end and saying, you as children of God in the church at Corinth, you deal with the same thing. But before he points fingers, he gets them involved in an illustration of the Old Testament. He gets their minds on other people. Oh, yeah, ooh, bad people. And then he says, you do the same thing. He kind of does it in a subtle way. And you say, okay, preacher, what's your point? All right. A lot of times when we hear Bible preaching, we think, oh, I wish so-and-so was here. Oh, man, if they were here, ooh, man. I heard of a preacher one time. He was there in the back, and a person came to him and said, oh, preacher, preacher, you really got him tonight. Then all week long. Preacher, you really got them. Boy, you hit home tonight. Boy, they, they really respond. Oh, that's good. Well, the next night it was it snowed. And the preacher and that man were the only ones there. And so the preacher said, got them now. And he preached the whole service and preached a double service just for that man sitting there. He went in the back. He stood there while he asked the man to pray to close the service. He stood in the back. When the man finished praying, he was walking out the door, and he looked at the preacher and said, Oh, preacher, if they'd have been here, you would have gotten them. He missed it. And a lot of times we like to shift blame and say, Oh, they need it. I was in a church in New Jersey, and I was preaching on sin. You say, Do all evangelists preach on sin? I don't know. I know that most of the time that's how God lays it on my heart because you can't get to the good stuff till you deal with the bad stuff. That's revival. You can't live the normal Christian life till you deal with sin. And so I was preaching on sin. The end of the week, this older couple came up to me and they said, Brother Glenn, you preached all week on sin. Yeah, Brother Glenn, I hate to tell you this, but you kind of wasted your time. I said, I did? Yeah, Brother Glenn, we have a really good church here. I told the preacher about it afterwards, and he went, Oh, man, no wonder we're not seeing God work this week. You say, what's the point? 
The point is, a lot of times we like to shift blame or say it's not for me. If it's in the Bible, it is for me. And God wants to teach me. So, just so we don't walk out of here going, oh man, I wish they were here for a little while. Let's just focus on the children of Israel, okay? I mean, that's what Paul does. Notice what he will say here in the first few verses. He says, let's, let's go to verse number three. And did all eat the same spiritual meat? And did all drink the same spiritual drink? For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them, God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these were our examples to the intent or in other words why we use them as examples that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted in other words he's saying listen listen do you remember the children of israel he said they are an example of what you should do and what you should not do okay every one of the children of israel they had the exact same portion from god He says they had the same spiritual meat, the same spiritual drink. You say, what's that point? They were being fed spiritually all equal. But everyone chose whether they were going to follow what they were taught or whether they were going to do it their own way. And because of that, God says the one that chose to do it their own way, instead of following him, those people, God says he was not well pleased. Notice what he says in verse number six. These uh, examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. In other words, he says, listen, let's go back to this illustration of the Israelites. You have most of them that would not obey God, that would not follow God, even though God told him, hey, you want to be successful? You want to get into the land of promise? Hey, you want to have a victorious Christian life? All right, here's how to do it. And they said, nah, I'm okay. I'll do it my way. And he says, fine. Then you're going to miss out on the land of Canaan, which by the way, is not a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the victorious Christian life. In other words, you get to Canaan, there are still battles, but victory's promised. But you do realize that in Canaan, that some of God's people had defeat. But it's a land of victory. Yes, but when you don't follow God, you're defeated. And he'll come here and he says, listen, these are examples. In other words, they're patterns. You'll find those who followed God and obeyed God. You want to hear some examples of those in the children of Israel? Joshua and Caleb. Those are good patterns. By the way, don't you think it interesting that all of the rest of the congregation would not enter the promised land in that generation with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, the old men? All of their friends die off. And all the younger generation go in with the two patriarchs. Man, look at these old guys. And Caleb still has a sword in his hand. I'm working on a message right now. The Lord's teaching me on some things. Caleb was a scary guy. Giants ran from the old man named Caleb. Why? Because he followed God. 
And all these other people, the whole congregation, they would refuse to follow God. And God says they are an example. They are a pattern. In other words, look at them and see how unsuccessful and miserable and how unpleasing to me they are. You say, why? Well, he tells us. Notice what he says in verse number 7. He says, neither be idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sit down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You say, what's the point? Okay, this story you will find, let's go back uh, to Exodus chapter number 32. Exodus chapter number 32, and we will find, let's go to verse number 17. Exodus 32, verse number 17, and we're going to find this story or this account of the people of Israel rising up to play. Verse number 17. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. And he said, is it not the voice of them that shout for mastery? Neither it is, it, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. And then go down to verse number, uh, let's go down to verse number 25. He says, and when Moses saw that the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto the shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? There are two sides here in this story. Moses and Joshua, and they are up on a mountain, and the people of Israel are down here, and I don't know how long Moses is gone, but the people of Israel, they wonder if Moses is coming back, and Aaron says, well, let's make a calf, and you can worship that. In other words, you're not seeing God work, or you want to see something else to make you happy? Fine, we'll make a golden calf. And you've this, you know the story. They are dancing around. They are taking their clothes off, etc. Moses and Joshua are up on the mountain. They hear the sound of war. They come down and they find out that the people, they're worshiping another God. Moses stands there and he says, hey, who's on God's side? In other words, the people aren't. The people are being, are living in idolatry. They have created an idol. What's an idol? Anything that takes the place of God, that's an idol. Anything. It doesn't have to be a golden image. Anything is an idol if it takes the place of God. And Moses says, who's on God's side? Do you know who came and stood by Moses? The Levites. You find that here. Go down to verse number, uh, verse number 20, uh, 28. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses. Uh, let's go back to verse number 26. That, that'll be better. And Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who's on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. We don't find anybody else. You say, Where's Joshua? Well, he's there, all right? You say, Well, shouldn't Joshua put his sword on? Okay. Joshua is a general. Are you with me? Okay, and this is totally free. All right, think about this. This is, this is free. I know you didn't come for this. How many legs did Joshua have? More specifically, how many feet did Joshua have? I think one. You say, preacher? Hey, when you open the Bible, like when God talks to Moses, you know what he says? Moses, take your shoes off your feet. Every time he talks to Joshua, he says, take your shoe off your foot. You study it. 
I don't know. Bible doesn't say. I have no idea. But he was a military general. So I don't know. If, and, and in the passage here, Moses is up the mountain. Joshua doesn't go the whole way. You say, you're being silly. You study it. I don't know. Bible doesn't say. I'm not trying to meddle where Bible doesn't say. I'm just saying, I wonder how many feet. Okay, so anyway. Anyway, that was free. I told you it was free, all right? So you have Joshua. He's somewhere right there. Somewhere. Maybe he's in a chariot, okay? And you have all all the children of Levi. They gird their swords on them. And Moses says, go get them, boys. And they will kill of the children of Israel well over 3,000 people. You say, why? Because God views idolatry as a serious thing. But they're God's people who are not looking to God as their God. And he says, listen, listen, I am your God. I delivered you out of Egypt. And they make another God. Go back now to verse Corinthians and notice what it will say in verse num- chapter 10 and verse number 7, what we read a minute ago. Neither be idolaters as some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He says, neither let us commit fornication as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. All right, so he's using the illustration of the Israelites that we just read in Exodus. He says, these people, they made up another God, and when they made up another God, eventually it would go down where they would not just be idolatrous, now they're committing fornication. You say, preacher, is there a correlation between having an idol and then eventually being immoral? Yes. Yes. Because you do not end up here in immorality if you have not first made something else, someone else, or yourself the idol. You won't. You say, oh, preacher, I don't know about that because, well, we're not going to talk about it, but I, I struggle a little bit with pornography, and, but, but I love God. You can't. You cannot say you love God if you do not keep His commandments. But preacher, I know Him. He knows me. I'm saved. We're not talking about salvation. We're talking about loving God. God's love for me never changes. My love for God does. When I choose to put myself above Him, I've just made me the idol. If I put someone else above God, I've made them the idol. Hey, all of us struggle with idolatry. Preacher, I don't have a golden calf. At least I'm not like the people in the Orient that actually have little gods. Really? I'm not trying to step on toes tonight. I'm really not. But a lot of times we make the television our God. Sometimes it takes the place of church. Sometimes we put people in place of God. Sometimes we put social media in place of God. Oh, preacher. That's junk out there. Okay, I'm going to use myself as a personal illustration, okay? And I hate doing this, but I think, I think it'll help. A couple of years ago, I find myself getting up in the morning getting my coffee, checking my email, and then reading my Bible. Now, if you do that, I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not what I'm saying. But for me, all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord hit me, and He said, so 
your email, you're spending more time checking that than you're spending in my word. And I realized for me, I had made whatever you want to call it, email, social media, what? I had just made it a God. So preacher, that's silly. Okay, I'm saying for me, God revealed to me that I'd put something in place of him. And he says here, the children of Israel, and speaking to the church of Corinth, and he says, listen, listen, these people were our examples. In other words, they are patterns how to have an unsuccessful life. Put an idol, put something, put someone in the place of God, and we do it. And when we do it, God says, fine, if you want that to be your God, fine. By the way, contrary to popular opinion, God is not pushy. If you don't want Him, He'll just wait for you. You said, what what about conviction? That's the Holy Spirit. And if you are a child of God, you will be convicted when we put things above our God. Because they are one. And I've just put something, someone, something in place of God. And eventually, and you'll even see it in the life of Esau, when you read about him in in the book of Hebrews, Esau, he would become bitter. And he would put his bitterness as a God in his life. And the next few verses said, Esau becomes a profane and a fornicating person. Well, He's just bitter. He's been hurt. Sure. And he's put his hurt above God. His hurt, hey, we've all been hurt. But when you dwell on hurt, and when you put your hurt above God and his forgiveness through you to those that have hurt you, then you have made your hurt your God. And he says, don't, because if you do that, you are lining up your life just like the pattern of those in the Bible who were idolaters. And you'll go down here. Notice what he will say here in verse number. uh, Let's go down to verse number nine. Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of serpents. Now he's speaking of another instance where the children of Israel, they begin complaining. Now, we all complain but we sugarcoat it. We vent. Are you with me? Let me vent to you, brother. Hmm. Man, I just... That's the Christian way of getting mad, being bitter, um, gossiping, whatever you want to call it. All right? I know. We just kind of make it nice. and We do it in prayer request. You know that, right? Preacher, oh, pray for so-and-so. Hmm. Or maybe we vent to other people about how rough we have it or the problems or the people that God has put in our lives. That's how, that's how we spiritualize it. The people God has given me to deal with. Hey, the people of Israel, they murmur against God. He'll say here that they tempt Him. In other words, they are the ones who have said, God, why would you bring us out of Egypt? Why would you allow all these things to happen to us? Don't dwell on the problems. Dwell on the one that can control the problems. And when you and I let things and people control us, sure, we're going to take our eyes off Jesus. Oh, but preacher, you know what? I have really respected this particular person. 
I really appreciate them. And preacher, they, you know, they're godly. And preacher, they do good things. They're like my role model. Be careful when you put people as your role model over Jesus. You say, but he's a good person. But he's still a human. And people will let you down. God will not. Preacher, what's that have to do with tempting God? You know, God, I don't need to follow you. God, you haven't done that much for me. God, why would you, why, why would you bring me out of Egypt to this? He's saying, put your eyes on him, not on the problems that are around you. I'm not tempting God. Sure, we say, God, you can't do it, so maybe these should, or maybe I should, or God, you know what? You haven't been there when I needed you. That's not God's fault. God's always there. It's when we focus on everything else and we don't put our trust in God for what He's doing, whether we understand it or not. And He says that's what the children of Israel did. The children of Israel, they set up an idol. The children of Israel, they would commit fornication. The children of Israel, they would tempt me. In other words, God, you can't, so we might as well should. No, and he says, don't do that. Because when you do that, you're just lining yourself up with their example on how to be unsuccessful. Notice what he will say here in verse number, uh, let's go down to verse number 10. Neither murmur ye as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer, destroyer, very similar to those that would murmur against God and he would send out the snakes to devour them in the verse previous. Then he says in verse number 11, now all these things happen unto them for, the next word is, and samples. It's a different word than examples. And the word and samples is used a couple of times in the Bible, but it's used in different ways in the Bible. In this particular word, he will use the idea of these things are warnings to you and me. In other words, it's, you saw all those things? You're making them a pattern for your life. And he says these I'm giving you these things as in samples, or let's put it this way, I'm giving you these illustrations as warnings what not to do. Don't be like the children of Israel. But oh, aren't we? What happens when we don't listen to God's warning? We get on what seems to here to be like a slip and slide. Have you ever been on a slip and slide? I was as a kid, and it was great. I try it now, and buddy, things don't work right anymore. You get on there, and you, you start sliding, and buddy, it's not a slip and slide. It's a slip and fall. You get the idea. That's, that's what he's dealing with here. Notice what he will say in verse number 12. He says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. Because a lot of times we think, oh, that stuff, I don't do. I, I don't deal with that. 
That stuff there? Oh, man, I wish so-and-so was here tonight. They really need this. No, no, no. He's saying, hey, if you think you're okay, you're on a spiritual slipping side because when you start thinking you're okay, you're starting to slip. And if you don't get your, your footing and stand back aright on the Word of God and His truth, you're going to fall flat on your face. Preacher, I don't, I don't get it. Okay, listen. When I try to live the Christian life according to my standards, I'm going to fall. When I try to live the Christian life with my view of who God is, I'm going to fall. i got to go back to the Bible. Because the Bible is truth, and what I do is just putting me above God. And you have to go back to what he's saying. And he says here, he says, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. If you think you're pretty good, mm, there's a problem. If you think you got sin handled, look out, the devil's coming for you. The devil doesn't come for Christians. Oh, yes, he does. The devil loves to come after Christians. Christian, he cannot possess you, but he can oppress you. And he can't, he's a roaring lion. And you realize when Peter is dealing with the roaring lion, he's again talking to Christians. He's out to get us. You say, then it's the devil's fault. No, we've opened ourselves up to the devil. Preacher, you can't do that. Sure, when you don't follow God, when I don't follow God, I open myself up to follow the devil. At least make him happy because when I don't follow God, I don't please him. I've got to be pleasing somebody. And you come to these verses, he said, take heed. In other words, you have sinned just like the children of Israel. You haven't listened to the warnings that Paul has given us here. And you have made the children of Israel your example, a pattern on how you're going to live your life. Idolatrous. You're going to be, uh, uh, eventually, it may lead to something like fornication. You're at least going to tempt God. And as it goes further, the temptation of God, you will find that you will be destroyed. In other words, when you and I don't follow God, God has the perfect right to deal with us however he needs to. And you'll find throughout the scripture, God can stir the Christian, shake up the Christian, bring suffering to the Christian, and he has the perfect right to take the Christian home. God wouldn't do that. He has a right to. Because if he owns us, and I've put something else above him, why? Why would a holy God, who we looked at last night, is jealous? And how he wants to have first place? Why would he let his children continue to put themselves over him? He said, so God's going to destroy me the first... No, 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 no. There's a progression here. And God is merciful. He is. And he says, listen, listen, I can't forgive. You say, where does it say that? Well, if you don't understand that you need God, 
and you don't understand that He is the one that can help you stand, you're going to fall. It's a slipping side, remember? You start slipping. You start going down the slope of sin. You start sinning. And then before long, you find yourself flat on your back. You say, do you just stand there? No, He's merciful. That's what He says here in verse number 13. He says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. By the way, the same temptation you face is the same temptation that others face. You're not select. You say, well, God tempts me differently. Excuse me. Well, the devil tempts me differently than he tempts somebody else. Yes, but you're not the only one that deals with the temptation of idolatry or the temptation to look at what you shouldn't look at or the temptation of pride or the temptation of gossip or the temptation of lying. You name it. You know how the devil likes to trip you up. Who knows? Maybe it's just discouragement. You do know discouragement's a sin, right? Discouragement is when I am not trusting Jesus, but I'm looking at my problems. That's discouragement. And by the way, the devil loves to discourage Christians. In fact, I'm convinced that's one of Satan's greatest tools in the life of the Christian. Many times it starts with discouragement. And you come here and he says, listen, there's no temptation you that such is as common to man, but then get this, but God is faithful. In other words, the God of heaven wants to be faithful to you and to me personally. He wants to say, hey, listen, you struggle in this area. Hey, I can make a way and I will make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear at the end of the verse. You say, what, what, what's he saying here? Hey, listen, there's always an escape plan. Then why is it, preacher, that I sin? Because I don't look for the escape plan. I just say, well, you know what? There's a temptation. Might as well. Well, you know what? I don't know that God can help me here. I say, preacher, I don't even get that far. I don't even think. I just do. Yeah. And God says that He wants to help us escape. Hey, you have a problem with bitterness, God offers relief from bitterness. You have a problem with anger, there's a God who can help you deal with your anger. You have a problem with, uh, with somebody, God can help you deal with that. You have a problem uh, with your gossip, God can help you guard your mouth. James chapter number 3. Hey, listen, God wants to help us. Sometimes we have the idea that, oh, God, no, oh, man, I'm just a terrible sinner. I don't know what I'm going to do. God says, hello, I'm right here. Hello, I want to help you. Hello, I faced 40 days in the wilderness with temptation. I know how to deal with that. Come to me. Preacher, I don't know how to come to him. Friend, Come to His Word. You struggle with lying, get some verses that God gave to you to help deal with lying. And you put them in your heart. And you begin to quote those. You say, that doesn't work. Excuse me. When Jesus faced temptation, Jesus quoted Scripture. Well, Jesus can't sin. Okay, let's not get into all the theological pieces here with the exception of this. Jesus faced temptation. 
I can't explain all the 40 days in the wilderness with temptation of Jesus. But I can't explain this. He was tempted, and he did not, and he put the Bible in front of the devil, and the devil ran. And you go to these verses, and he says, listen, listen. God will make a way to escape. You say, preacher, I don't always want that escape. Okay, then here's what happens. You start slipping when you're tempted. You fall in the sin, and if you don't look to Jesus for help, friends, you're going to stay down. Preacher, I'm down right now. What do I do? You look to Jesus, and with His righteousness, you can stand up again. The just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. You say, so preacher... What exactly, I mean, how should I leave tonight? It's your choice whether you're going to yield to sin or yield to God. Your choice. Preacher, I really don't deal with too much sin. I really, I'm I'm okay. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to leave you an example. If you say you're okay, be careful. Because you'll be the first one to fall. Preacher, you know what? I have dealt with a certain sin for so long. I've tried to get victory. I've tried till I'm blue in the face and I don't know what to do. Let me tell you something. When you and I try to have victory over sin, we won't. Jesus doesn't say, try to have victory over sin and you might. He says, I make a way to escape. I will make a way to escape. In other words, it's not about me trying. It's about me trusting in Jesus. The same way I trusted Jesus for salvation is how I live the Christian life. By trusting in Jesus. I I don't mean I need to trust Him every single day for heaven. No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand me. We trust Him one time for heaven. But that same dependence that I'm looking to Jesus saying, I can't get to heaven without Him, that same dependence is the same dependence I need every moment of every day to deal with temptation. Jesus, I I can't. The The devil's out to get me. He's tempting me right now. Lord, I need you. Hey, As soon as we say, Lord, help, he does. Preacher, I called for help and he didn't help me. Well, that must be because we called for help and then said, yeah, thanks, but I'm okay. I can handle it myself. Because he says he will make a way to escape. And that's through God's son, Jesus. Paul says, listen, I'm going to give you the Israelites as an example of what not to do. And then I'm going to give you the Israelites' story as a warning of what happens when you don't put God first. And then I want to tell you, the Israelites, you don't have to live like that. Don't think you're something better than they are, or you'll end up like them. Instead, Christian, Paul says, you look to God. And when temptation comes, when you cry out to him, he will set you free. Preacher, 
I don't know if he can. Then notice what it says in the last verse. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. In other words, don't put yourself up and think you can handle it. He can. So let's look to him. The slip and slide of life, you don't have to slip and then slide and then stay down. We will all slip. We will all slide down the slope of sin. And we're all going to fall. But get back up through the precious blood of Jesus. And if you find yourself on the slope, stop. Come back to the Bible. Come back to Him. He'll make a way to escape. When you find yourself starting to slide down that slope of sin, stop. You say, preacher, why is it that there are so many rules in the Bible? They're to protect us from sliding and slipping and falling and staying down. By the way, that's why we preach on separation. Separation is not so we can be spiritual. There are an awful lot of colleges and churches in our country today who think their separation and their standards make them spiritual. They don't. They don't. They never did. They never will. You say, what makes me spiritual? Walking with Jesus. Well, what about standards? When you walk with Jesus, standards will not be a problem for you. Because standards protect. Separation protects. From what? From temptation to put someone or something before God. Preacher, you know what? I just don't know. And come to Jesus and find out that He can set you free. Preacher, He has set me free. But sometimes I go back and embrace the truths of the Bible that He always gives escape. Preacher, I've been living just like the Israelites. You don't have to. Preacher, you know what? I know what you've been saying, but I really don't deal with these things. Okay, cut off the fake angel wings and throw away the halo and just admit the fact that we're all made of dust and we're all still sinners, saved by grace, but we still deal with sin. And we need Him to conquer sin. Heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm done tonight.